Hey everyone, this is episode two of Write of Reply. My name is Tanisha and I'm joined here by my co-directors Nirma and Bibby. And today we're going to be discussing cultural appropriation. Now later in the episode, we're going to be joined by Tsar Ganesh, who is the Assets Equity Commissioner here at Queen's. So we're going to start off with a little icebreaker to get into some of the topics covered in the episode. And with Halloween right around the corner, what were some of your guys' favorite Halloween costumes growing up? Growing up, mine had to be in first year when I went as uh, Pi from Life of Pi. Oh, yeah. 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 <clears throat> I wore like traditional Indian garb that was all torn up and it was a fun time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mine was like two years ago when I went, um, I did a couple's costume with my boyfriend. We were um, a Russian spy and an American agent. Cold War themed. All I had to do was wear a black dress and sunglasses. So best low commitment costume ever. So you dressed up for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was great. He wore a suit. He had a mustache. It was amazing. I love it. That's like the perfect kind of politicsy, like fun. Yeah. Full Universal Studios <laughs> Halloween costume. What about you, Nisha? <clears throat> um. For me, growing up, I was really well, like when I was younger, I was really obsessed with like Disney princesses. So I had, like, the full-send, like, Disney store, like, Belle, Cinderella, and, like, Sleeping Beauty costumes um, that I wore with, like, the shoes, the wand. You know, not just, like, the, like, simple dress, but, like, the dress with, like, 50 layers of tulle underneath. Love Um, that. And I think that would probably be uh, some of my favorites growing up. Nice. Well, to get into some more serious topics, (laughs) so... Let's dive right in. The difference that is generally talked about between cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation is that appropriation is essentially a form of colonialism. So elements from a minority culture are copied and used outside of the cultural context by a dominant culture. So I have a little definition that I'm going to read. So cultural appropriation is essentially when a group of privileged individuals cherry picks part of a culture belonging to a group of marginalized people then uses it for fashion or performance purposes, leaving behind the true meaning of the characteristic and thus disrespecting the culture from which it was born. So it's essentially about um, unequal exchange. Um, and it's it's kind of um, disrespectful to the culture because um, certain people will be penalized by institutions for um, sort of wearing their... <coughs> cultural attire or expressing themselves in a traditional way, um, whereas someone would be lauded for kind of being edgy and um, doing something that's kind of more off the radar and cool if they're part of the dominant culture. Mm. An example of this is, for example, in schools when um, black people will be sent home for wearing braids or other natural hairstyles. But when someone like Kylie Jenner wears braids, um, she's edgy and cool and a fashion icon. So there's also the element of cultural meaning versus consumerism. Um, A lot of these cultures were brought into capitalist and consumerist societies by um, a dominant culture uh, under colonialism. So... With that, it kind of takes the cultural meaning away when um, these practices are then used in a consumerist setting, like using, like going to a salon and um, getting a hairstyle that you've paid for, that's um, given to you by a white person who doesn't understand the cultural meaning behind that hairstyle. 
So in cultural appreciation, exchange is usually mutual. Uh, so that's kind of a big difference there as well. And just a note that assimilation into a dominant culture is not usually considered appropriation because it's more of a form of protection. So when somebody comes, um, for example, immigrates to Canada or the US and maybe their culture isn't the dominant culture and they don't feel very appreciated, then they might assimilate to look like the dominant culture, to act like the dominant culture, to protect themselves from discrimination and possibly even violence. So I'm going to give you some general fun historical facts about cultural appropriation. Uh, so way back when, um, the Romans would actually absorb religions into their own dominant religion when they conquered other communities and would put their own gods into the shrines. They would also honor the local gods, but they would kind of um, come at it from a point of, yeah, well, they're Roman gods now, so of course we'll honor them. Um, another example, in the 17th century, uh, the British appropriated the three-piece suit from Islamic and Eastern European dress. Um, in the 19th century, uh, Indian and Middle Eastern dress was again, appropriated as turbans and pantaloons worn by the British. Um, also, smoking caps based on the Islamic fez. Um, in the 2000s, as we kind of all know and have seen, Polynesian and African tattoos became very popular in the West. And in general, tattoos in a language um, that the person who has the tattoo doesn't speak became very popular as well. So getting, you know, like a random Chinese character when you don't know what it means and you've never spoken Chinese and you're getting it done by someone else who doesn't speak Chinese. So yeah, those are some facts. Um, Nimrit, do you want to talk more about the impact of cultural appropriation? Yeah, so um, cultural appropriation impacts everybody. It impacts the people who are appropriating and the people whose culture is being appropriated. So Kind of like the first point of cultural appropriation that is it perpetuates white colonialism. So I thought BB talked a little bit about colonialism, but it really uh, it prevents people from moving forward from like the murderous past that you know a lot of countries experience. Um, I think in, uh, like a, some good examples are in uh, like a good example is India and Pakistan and some Southeast Asian countries where they have such such a beautiful culture and people in the West kind of just steal like aspects of it. And similarly, those who engage in cultural appropriation, kind of I, colonial, uh, they have the power to use it for their benefit. And this is really this is related to uh, power dynamics. So this is we're talking about the oppressed and the oppressor. Um, it reduces history and rich culture down to a costume or you know a similar item. I think uh, another good example of this would be people dressing up as uh, Pocahontas for. Uh, Halloween, just reducing a whole culture down to, you know, a feather or uh, reducing a whole culture down to a dot if it's something related to, like, India. And probably the worst thing about uh, cultural appropriation is that it prevents us from learning about the true meaning of culture, of cultures around the world. People don't understand the rich history and, you know, how hard and how the sacrifices that people have made to you know, develop languages, to develop art, to develop music, stuff like that. Um, but there, there is a fine line um, between appreciation and appropriation. You can appreciate, um, and I think Tanisha can talk more about that. 
Yeah. Um, when I was researching this topic, I found a really great quote by LaRonda Bryant, who's an associate professor of African studies at um, William College that kind of builds on the definition of cultural appropriation that um, Bibby had stated earlier, which is, quote, I think of it in the most rudimentary terms as this very fluid exchange of culture that happens among human beings. But the way that we think about it, especially now, is that it refers to taking someone else's culture, intellectual property, artifacts, style, art form, without permission. <clears throat> and I picked this quote because I think um, that the end word of permission here is that gray area that seems to be very unclear with people in terms of how to get permission, if permission should be sought out, etc. And I mean, with this debate, you're always going to have that person on the right saying, well, I'm just trying to appreciate this piece of clothing or artifact or style. And then that person on the left claiming it was used inappropriately and out of context. And I mean, I think this summer, a lot of us saw the social media cultural appropriation Twitter battle that uh, started a lot of conversation about that line, which was um, the prom dress example. So a teenage girl in Utah decided to wear a red chipao, which is a traditional Chinese dress. It's kind of long fitting um, with a slit up the side. Uh, she decided to wear that to prom and she decided to wear it because of its modesty, because it was um, simple and she really appreciated the uh, beauty behind it. And she tweeted out the picture of herself and her date at prom and a Twitter user replied to that picture with, my culture is not your goddamn prom dress. And that response tweet has been liked over 178,000 times and retweeted nearly 42,000 times. And that Twitter user continued to defend their tweet with a quote stating, This isn't okay. I wouldn't wear traditional Korean, Japanese, or any other traditional dress, and I'm Asian. I wouldn't wear traditional Irish or Swedish or Greek dresses either. There's a lot of history behind these clothes. And the chipao was originally a loose dress or garment without shape made for Chinese women to clean the house and do other domestic chores with. It was then altered and embroidered as a beautiful form-fitting outfit to wear out publicly where Chinese women were not allowed to do um, during the times of extreme patriarchal oppression. The style was then spread throughout Asia as a beautiful garment and sign of women's liberation. I'm proud of my culture, including the extreme barriers marginalized people within that culture have had to overcome those obstacles. For it to simply be subject to American consumerism and cater to a white audience is parallel to colonial ideology. Now, the teenage girl decided to keep the tweet up um, with the picture, and she responded back to the Twitter user stating, quote, To everyone causing so much negativity, I mean no disrespect to the Chinese culture. I'm simply showing my appreciation to their culture. I'm not deleting my post because I've done nothing but show my love for the culture. It's a dress, and it's beautiful. <clears throat> and I think we see this example a lot nowadays um, with Halloween costumes, and Nermit mentioned earlier, like, dressing up as a Native American versus Pocahontas or dressing up as a geisha. And then we also see this with festival culture, um, with, you know, Veld or Coachella, where people wear Indian bendies or South Asian headpieces or, you know, even uh, Native American headpieces or henna art on their hands. And again, we also see this in fashion shows. Like earlier this year, Gucci was criticized for putting turbans on white models and a lot of Sikhs thought this was disrespectful as the turban um, is a symbol of faith as opposed to a fashion accessory. 
And, you know, this kind of brings us back to the intent factor in the equation. If we wear or incorporate aspects of cultures that are not our own, we're told we're being racist. But what if we're not trying to be racist? What if we're trying our absolute best to just, you know, be appreciative and to just, um, you know, that we're not here to harm or hurt other people, but rather um, just want to understand and learn about other people's cultures. And, you know, that kind of leads us into the overarching problem, which is in situations where cultural, culturally like significant items are appropriated for a fashion statement rather than um, a celebration of that culture. Um, and then going back to that point that Professor Bryant made earlier, it boils down to a how and why question factor. So it's how you're wearing the piece and why you're wearing it and whether you're wearing it with permission. And I think a really good example of that how and why question being applied is with cultural functions. Because I know like all of us have probably um, been to a function of a culture that wasn't necessarily our own and um, where we've had to kind of wear or incorporate certain aspects of that culture when attending that function. And I think it also kind of prompts a question of whether it's appropriate to wear that culture's clothes to that function, or is it, you know, more offensive to not wear that culture's clothes to um, that function? And that kind of also prompts another question that I think a lot of us face. Yeah, so specifically um, in the function uh, example, and if you if you are invited, I think it, you should wear traditional clothing or like, you know, what, whatever is required just out of respect because you have been invited and... Um, you're appreciating their culture so step one of the appreciate appreciation might be to you know wear something traditional or if it's an like an indian wedding maybe get some henna done or um you know there's like a variety of things and you've been invited and that's appreciation that i don't i, I don't think that would be appropriation yeah so for me kind of just coming from the perspective of a white person like a step before that that i would even take would be to kind of reach out to the person whose wedding I was invited to and be like, hey, like, I really want to wear some traditional clothes to this wedding. Like, I really want to make sure that, like, I'm fitting in and I'm giving the right impression. So could you give me some suggestions for where to look for that and for maybe even what I should wear? And then I would go on and also do some research on my own to make sure that what I was wearing wasn't some type of bastardization of the clothes, but, like, the actual things that I was supposed to wear. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're asking yourself that how and why question, I think you're giving yourself um, better boundaries to make better decisions regarding cultural appropriation. And again, it's hard because um, no one can really draw that line of intent and tell you that your intention in wearing something is not genuine or not fair or not just, but you can make decisions or think about it beforehand, like asking yourself that how and why in order to make more informed decisions. All right, that's it for part one. Uh, hello, everybody. Today I'm here with Thar. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself, Thar? Yeah. Um, so I'm Thar. Um, I'm the Equity Commissioner for ASSES. Um, I'm in my fourth year doing Political Studies and Indigenous Studies. Uh, so at ASSES, um, we are the student government for the Arts and Science Undergraduate Society. Um, so that means that we represent all of the students that um, fall within Arts and Science. And in my portfolio specifically, um, I advocate um, 
for um, marginalized groups on campus and I oversee um, eight committees and an equity library and so they run a couple different events uh, ranging from mental health awareness to body image advocacy as well as um, just social justice issues in general. That's a little bit of what I do. That's awesome. Um, so let's dive right into the first question. Um, what do you define as cultural appropriation on campus and what is the history of this at Queens? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think to me, cultural appropriation looks like um, any kind of adoption of elements of uh, minority culture by a dominant culture, um, and this can be adopted for like a variety of reasons, but I think um, particularly if it's like for profit or um, profit through fashion specifically, because we see a lot of that in um, like everyday um, life, I think. So I think that's um, what cultural appropriation looks like, especially if you um, kind of don't understand the cultural, religious, or ethnic roots of whatever the element that you're adopting is. Um, yeah, I think that's what cultural appropriation looks like for me. Um, and could you talk about the history of this at Queens? Because I know Queens has had a, a, like a you know, like a history of this. Yeah. Um, well, we all know the really big one that happened a couple years ago. So it was the party with the Halloween costumes. Um, but I think like more something that more people are normalized to and we don't think about often is like the clothings that people wear or like the designs that people wear um there are also like initiatives that certain clubs run on campus like henna tattoos and um people sell bindis things like that um that we're kind of normalized to as a campus i think and we don't acknowledge um how that can impact certain groups in different ways um and I think also even like themed parties, there are like Hawaiian themed parties and people don't understand the significance of that. Um, but yeah, I think that's what the history of Queens kind of looks like. Great. So I was just going to ask, why do you think that cultural appropriation becomes more acceptable kind of during Halloween in particular? And what's been mm -hmm. the experience on Queens campus with that? You touched on the party earlier, but mm -hmm. yeah, I'm going to go more in depth about that. Yeah, um, I think most of it is because it's normalized. Um, a lot of it is like influenced by media. For example, the Pocahontas is like a classic example of how you know growing up people are accustomed to this idea of what Pocahontas is without understanding um, the implications it has. Um, and I think because people are normalized to it, they don't understand how it affects people, um, especially when we see it in stores and it's sold as costumes every Halloween when the time comes around. Um, and I think in terms of like the party that you mentioned, it's more about um, people thinking it's like funny or if it's like, oh, it's just a joke, like people should take it easily, but not understanding like whose real life experiences are you trivializing and um, whose history are you benefiting that like, comedy off of. Um, yeah, I think that's why it usually happens during Halloween. Right. So like during Halloween in particular, like there has been kind of that history and like with the party a couple years ago, a couple people were in blackface, I believe, even. Mm -hmm. So why it kind of, it's so interesting because that was kind of normalized for that party, but for example, like, if it was in, like, a play or in something else on campus, like, there would have been, like, such, like, a dramatic reaction, like, immediate shutting down, so it's kind of like, why is that appropriate then in that context? Mm -hmm. um, I think also, um, some of the things that we heard when the party the news of the party broke out was like there were people of color at the party who were also dressed up and so they thought it gave them kind of like a pass to do it in that context um but it's like the classic oh like well i have a one black friend and they think it's okay kind of um 
rhetoric that we hear a lot, um, but I think it's looking past it just because one person of a collective identity says it's okay doesn't mean that um, it is okay, and you know, you never know if that person has like internalized a lot of the experiences that they have had. Um, so just understanding, I think. Sorry, I think I'm going off track with what your question is, but no, it's completely fine. I think that's like one of the reasons why, in that context, people think it's okay because you know it's a party. You know, people who are part and of that, people, yeah, who are also dressed up, and so they think, oh, well, this is just for fun. Like, obviously, they don't think it's serious, so like, I don't have to think it's serious. Right. I have a normal follow-up question with this one because I was just thinking that recently there was that incident. Um, with an Asian person who was jumped and mm -hmm. um, they were attacked and like their girlfriend was on the phone during the whole thing and it was like a very like horrible experience but that kind of that happened um, with Kingston uh, locals instead mm -hmm. of with Queen students do yeah. you think that the Kingston community is kind of more or less accepting like how do you mm -hmm. how do you look at that um I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I have had my own set of experiences with the Kingston community, right. just being a woman of color. Mm -hmm. um, I won't dive into that too much. No, you're not. <laughs> but I think um, there, it's like, I think it's the lack of knowledge and education that comes with it. Like, Kingston is predominantly a white city. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, I guess they aren't educated a lot about, um, you know, like, cultural significance of things, how to um, speak to certain people, you know, microaggressions is a huge thing that on campus we talk about, but you never know if that education is being reached to the rest of the Kingston um, community. Um, and so I think that is a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how this correlates with, I think, like, um, people's outlook on campus, I think, I'm not too sure. I can't give you a definite answer, That's I don't think. Um, but I think the most important thing, something that I try to do a lot in my position is like education. I think education goes such a long way and that's truly the best way to engage people in dialogue. Um, and so even if it is just like outside of the Kingston, I mean the uh, Queens campus, I think it's important to bridge the gap between um, like Kingston and Queens and kind of um, pushing educational opportunities to the rest of the community so that they too can become involved in that. Right. I think our last question actually touches on that too, Michelle. Yeah, um, connecting back to what we talked about earlier in the episode, um, withdrawing the line between cultural mm -hmm. appropriation versus appreciation, um, how can we as a campus learn to ensure that we're both respecting culture um, and appreciating it, but also incorporating it into our lives? Mm -hmm. um, I think the first thing is like providing platforms for marginalized groups to kind of celebrate their own cultures and traditions. And like that's an initiative that we've kind of undertaken with the equity office um, this year with Inclusive. We have a new deputy who primarily focuses on providing those kind of um, platforms throughout the year. So I think that's one of the first things that we need to do is like giving a voice to those groups to kind of um, bring their own experiences to the table. Um, I think also when we run events, like promoting like Hannah tattoos or bindis, um, we're ensuring that there is an educational component so people who come out to like get those tattoos, if we are going to do them, understands where the religious implications or the um, historical implications, where it, all of that comes from. They, I think there needs to be an educational part to whatever you're holding. Um, also, if someone who is a part of a marginalized group is telling you that something you're doing or a costume that you're wearing is offensive, um, just 
be willing to listen, understand. If you have questions, I'm sure, like personally, if people ask me questions, I'm willing to have a dialogue and kind of engage with them and tell them why I think it's offensive and, you know, understanding where my history comes from and where my people come from. I think that's really important. So just be willing to understand and listen. I know it's easy to be really defensive when someone tells you something you're doing is offensive, but like compartmentalize yourself from that and kind of take a step back and just understand where the other person is coming from, I think that's important. And then um, I kind of mentioned this when we were talking about quotation, but to you, it may seem like it's a joke or it may seem like, oh, it's just one thing, but to marginalized groups, these are real experiences and real histories that you are benefiting from. So I think understanding that goes a really long way. So as a campus, we all need to be on the same page on that. And um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. I ramble a lot, but yeah. No, no worries. Um, I think especially what you mentioned earlier with the Asses Equity Library, mm -hmm. I think that's a really great platform that like, mm -hmm. allows people to kind of read up about different cultures or different groups and kind of get mm -hmm. um, a better understanding of that. And I think that's like a great initiative that oh, Asses has, um, has opened up. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's also a couple, like a lot of groups on campus who are really running this um, appreciate, not appropriate kind of yeah. campaign. I saw the social, the social Issues Commission is also hosting an event tonight, actually, I think, um, with different clubs, like cultural groups being um, at McLaughlin or something, I'm not sure. But um, there are a lot of groups doing uh, really cool initiatives, so there's always an opportunity for students to go out and learn. Um, yeah. <laughs> Any other follow-ups, or are we going to do the outro? Let's do the outro. What are we gonna say? <laughs> well, thank you, Thar, for uh, you know answering our questions. It was oh, very yeah, helpful. <laughs> like I've learned a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's given people a lot more context in terms of uh, what we talked about earlier in the episode with that how and why factor mm -hmm. um, about how you're using the piece and why you're using it. And I think that talking about it and promoting discussion around cultural appropriation gives people better context to make mm -hmm. more informed decisions about what they're. Um, wearing and what they're uh, deciding to do with those mm -hmm. pieces. Mm -hmm. And definitely like an issue in the past has been that the appropriation has taken place and then we learn the lesson of yeah. like, oh, okay, okay, we can't do that. Yeah. So I think it's like you talked about, you know, having voices on, at the table. Mm -hmm. So it's like, let's educate people on culture mm -hmm. and then let's, you know, respect their culture, let's appreciate exactly. it, you know? Yeah, and if you're in doubt and you're not sure about something, like costume that you're about to wear, if it's offensive or not, just ask. Like, yeah, it's easy. Just ask somebody. Yeah. Just like, I'm a resource to anyone who wants to ask me. Like, I obviously don't speak for everybody, but I can provide my personal, like, perspective, I guess, and then they can ask other people. Just asking the question, I think, is the first step to learning. Yeah, I think it's a very, like, proactive way mm -hmm. of learning and um, proactive way of just understanding cultures. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, thank you. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Writer for Ply. Follow us on social media to keep up to date on episode release dates and other news. Thank you.